Welcome to another inspirational message from Bridge Church Melbourne. Today I want to uh, um, introduce to you uh, a new series that we're going to be participating in across all of our campuses over the next four weeks. It's called One Life. And One Life is our new disciple-making pathway in the life of the church. And over the next four weeks and at Team Advance and in our life groups, we're going to be focusing our energies and attention upon what are we doing with the one life that God has called us to. And early next year, we're going to be unpacking in more detail about how across every campus, uh, a new person visiting the life of the church, as well as someone who's been here for a while, can participate in a pathway to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so already at the 9am service, we had amazing feedback. God's been moving. So I'm just wondering, could you go with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 16? And as you're heading there, I just want to um, acknowledge and welcome some of our friends, Andrew and Megan Newbold, are here today. Some of you would know them. They've ministered across our other campuses, but uh, they have a fantastic itinerant teaching ministry. We've been friends for like forever, and they're here today. Would you just welcome them? They're down the front here today. Thank you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, not our works. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. So we're speaking today on this subject, this idea of one life. And I was reading recently a survey of a group of 95-year-olds and they were asked this simple question. If you had to live life over again, what would you do differently? And the responses came back overwhelmingly, three major responses. The first response was they would reflect more. They would take more time to ponder upon their life and reflect upon the things that they've learned, what they're experiencing in their life. Secondly, they answered they would risk more. They would not live life so safely. They would not be so worried about what other people would think about them but they would risk more. They would live the life of faith more. And thirdly, they responded that if they had to live life over again, they would do more things that live on after they die. They would think more about 
their legacy of what they're passing on to the coming generations than they would about what they can just get for themselves in their own lives and in their own generation. And to be honest with you, when I saw my 59-year-old mother three over three years ago now breathe her last breath at emergency intensive care, apart from the obvious pain and grief of that, there was this moment where it, I, I was sobered, my thinking was sobered, my mind was sobered, everything came into clarity because I recognised the mortality and the finiteness of my own life. And even though I followed Jesus for most of my life and have answered His call, again, I was asking myself the question, am, what am I going to do with the one life that God has given to me? How am I going to live out my days? What am I going to pursue? What am I going to go after with this one life, this gift that God has given to me? And so when we buried my mother in that gravesite, on her tombstone, there were two dates. There was the date of birth and then there was the date of her death. And in between those two dates was this little dash. And that dash represented the total sum of her relationships, the total sum of the investment of her time, her energy and resource, everything that my mother did, thought about or said was summarised by that little dash between the day she was born and the day that she passed away. I want to ask you today, what are you doing with the dash that God has given to you? What are you doing with the minutes and hours, days, weeks, months and years? that God has gifted to you in your own life. They say the greatest currency on the earth is time. You cannot get time back. Once you've been given it, once you've spent it, it is gone. What are you doing with the currency of time? How are you investing your life? Well, in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul looked at that dash looked at his life, the total sum of all of his time, energy and resource that God had given to him and he began to list and add up all of the reasons for confidence, all of the things that his culture, his family, his religious education, his religious pedigree would point to as being these are the things, these are the reasons why this is what life is really all about and he adds up the list. And in verse 8, he says, I count all of that, everything as loss. In fact, he uses the word garbage or rubbish because of the one thing that matters more than anything, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. He adds up all of the things that his culture had said this is what significance is all about. This is what living on purpose is all about. This is what being important is all about. And so too in our culture. There are things that society tells us, this is what life is all about. This is what significance is all about. If Paul was here today, he would probably say similar things. In fact, he said in verse 12, in summary of his insight, he said, I'm going to take my one life and I'm going to do one thing with it. I'm going to press towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And as I'm reading that, we've got to ask the question, Paul, what is the goal? 
Because often this passage has been used as like a self-help principle. And, and, and if you've got a goal for your business or a goal for your family or a goal, a dream for your life, that, then this is what Paul is talking about. But no, that's not what he's talking about. The goal that Paul is talking about is the goal, the dream, the purpose of knowing Jesus Christ above everything else in our lives. He said, I press towards that goal. Why did he use that word or that idea of press? Because if you are going to make knowing Jesus your number one goal, you're going to encounter resistance. There's going to be spiritual warfare. There's going to be things that come against you. And Paul said, I'm going to take my one life and I am going to do one thing with it. Now that's great for the Apostle Paul, but what about for you and I? Because the reality is modern life is complex. You and I face all manner of complexity that the Apostle Paul and his generation never faced. Just the iPhone alone would do the Apostle Paul's head in. Does my head in most of the time too. And so uh, there are things in life that we encounter, the busyness, the demands, the distractions of life, the various roles and relationships that we have in our lives that can make it really difficult to define what is the one thing that matters more than anything. I want you to imagine with me a river that's one kilometre wide and one inch deep. One kilometre wide and one inch deep. If I, my kids were still... Uh, uh, infants or babies or toddlers, as long as I was with them, I'd probably feel fairly confident to be able to hold their hands, splash around in a river that was one kilometre wide and one inch deep. We'd probably splash each other. I'd let them even sit in there and just play with the water and the sand, one kilometre wide, one inch deep. But if I was to take that same body of water in that river and narrow the margins, narrow the riverbanks, narrow the boundaries to only 100 metres but still contain the same body of water, there is no way I would let my toddler near that river. I mean, even myself probably would think twice about trying to swim across that. Such would be the force and of the current in that river. The truth is, as you narrow the focus, you increase the impact. And yet many of us in our lives are living lives that are one kilometre wide and one inch deep. Our time, our energy, our resource is diffused over such a wide cross-section of distractions, complexity, roles and relationships that we don't actually get any momentum in life towards why we are really here, towards the one thing that matters more than anything. And I hear the Spirit of God saying to us as a church, it's time to narrow the focus and increase the impact. And that isn't just something we want to practice as an organisation, as a family of faith, as a church, it's something that I believe God wants every single follower of Jesus, every single believer to practise in our lives. Why? Because life is short and eternity is a really long time. We're going to live lives where we do more, where we think about more. We live in such a way that something is going to live on long after we are gone. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Ephesians 5.16, make the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, as followers of Christ, there are three big relationships that we have in our life. 
The first relationship that we have is in our relationship with God. The second relationship is our relationship with the local church. And the third relationship that we have is our participation or our relationship with the world. One of the questions that we've been asking ourselves as leaders in the church, if there was one thing in each of those three relationships that we believe the Bible teaches and that God would want for every single follower of Jesus at our church, what would that one thing be? And the answers that we came to as we searched the Scriptures and as we prayed and as we discussed is that when it comes firstly to our relationship with God, the one thing that God would want us to prioritise over every other thing is one devotional time every single day in our lives. What if we could get every single follower of Jesus in our church as a covenant family to practise understand and embrace and prioritise in their daily schedule one devotional time, one devotion every single day of their lives. The reality is Jesus has already modelled to us the importance of one devotion. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Great crowds gathered to hear Him, but He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. As you read the Gospels, we discover Jesus knows what it's like to be uh, met with all sorts of demands, distractions, complexities, roles, relationships. One moment you read in the Gospels, his mother and his brothers want something from him. The next moment, there's someone who's grabbing on his jacket, his garment, wanting, seeking healing. There's people who are bringing their own family members and all sorts of needs to him. Everywhere the Son of God, the miracle worker, the great rabbi, the great prophet would go, there would be needs, demands, distractions, complexities. And yet Jesus still prioritised one devotion to his heavenly Father. He still made time for what was most important. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, speaking to the disciples, speaking to the church of Jesus Christ, you and I, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He did not say if you pray or if you feel like it. He said when you pray, meaning that prayer, intimacy with God would be the normal expected part of everyday believers' life. And if you and I are going to practice and prioritise one devotion, we've got to be willing to shut the door on distractions, on demands and on the complexities of life. At least once a day, I want to encourage every single person, if you're going to prioritise one devotion, it's time to shut the door. It's time to shut the white noise of the world out so that we can hear the only voice that truly matters, the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, I would say that for me, the one thing that has defined my life, my ministry, my family, my world in my relationship with God more than anything else was a simple conversation I had at Bible college over 20 years ago. It wasn't all the lectures, it wasn't uh, all of the you know, assignments and books that I read, as helpful as they were. Obviously, if you come to Numa College next year, every class will be amazing and you'll just find it really helpful. But for me at my Bible college, it was one conversation. And this one conversation was simply this from, in fact, our own Dr. Mike Gretschko, who's our teaching pastor here in the life of the church. And he looked at me in his office one day and he said, son, if you really wanna be a man of God, Get up every morning, 
spend an hour reading and studying the Word, and then for the next hour, pray into what you've just read and pray about your life. Repeat that every single day of your life, and one day you'll discover what it means to be a man of God. It was like an arrow shot straight into my heart. And he wasn't trying to get me all bound up in the legalism of the observance of time, but the principle of intimacy. And I have practiced from that day to now a priority where I focus on one devotional time each day. It doesn't end there, but it definitely begins there. And out of that devotional time, there is overflow into every other area of my life. And so for me, I do that first thing in the morning. And I've discovered something, that your day begins the night before. Has anybody discovered that as well? That if you're going to prioritise anything in the morning hours of your life, you're going to begin to need to think about that the night before. You see, if you're going to prioritise one devotion, it's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen just because you wish for it, you hope for it. It'll only happen because you intentionally design your life for it. And so for me, it looks as simple and as practical as getting out a comfortable Adidas tracksuit or some of my favourite sort of comfortable clothes. I put my shoes there in the bathroom. I get up in the morning. I get changed into my tracksuit and I head downstairs. I drink water to hydrate myself. Hydration is very important. I drink coffee to wake up my mind. Thank you, Jesus, for coffee. You need all the help you can get. I maybe have a piece of fruit uh, just to sort of get me going. And then I sit down and I open the Word of God. Sometimes I begin with worship and prayer. Most times I would begin with reading the Word of God. Sometimes I ask the Holy Spirit, where does He want me to read today? Other times I work with a Bible reading plan. However it works for you, this is what I do. And I don't sort of read to simply check off the list. Okay, I've read my five chapters or three chapters or one chapter today. I'm a good Christian. Now I can get on with the rest of my life. No, I read to have an encounter with Jesus. I read until I strike oil. Until I dig and I dig and I dig until I find gold. And when I find gold, it could be three verses in, it could be three chapters in, or it could be 13 chapters in. I read and I study until I find that thing that God wants to say to me on that day. And as I get to that moment, I begin to journal and I begin to reflect and I begin to write sometimes messages that I preached are birthed. In fact, my best messages are birthed out of that encounter not trying to prepare for a message, but actually reading out of a place of encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I read and I study and then out of that, there is this response in my heart that wants to pray and that wants to worship. Sometimes I launch straight into prayer. Other times I'll turn on a worship song and I'll begin to just sort of listen to the lyrics and listen to the music and almost my spirit begins to warm up to the presence of God. I become more consciously aware of God's presence and what He is doing. And then I begin to declare the goodness of God over my life. I begin to thank Him for what He's done for my family, my 
ministry. Then I begin to move into a place of asking Him to forgive me of any sin, to wash me clean, to cleanse my mind, purify my heart. And then in that place of vulnerability, I begin to declare boldly in faith over the promises of God over my life. I begin to intercede for you and your family and your business and your ministry and this church. Why? Because I understand that as the senior leaders of this house, our primary responsibility is as intercessors to pray for you, to lift you up before the throne room of God. I'm praying for you every single day. I'm praying that you'll have strength when you go into a challenging situation, wisdom when you go and walk into a boardroom. I'm praying that God would fill you with His Holy Spirit today, bless you and prosper you and favour you in every single area of your life. Why? Because God has put you on our hearts and we are praying for you. Out of that, I pray for family. I pray for personal needs. And then I thank God that the answer is already on its way. Sometimes that'll take an hour, hour and a half. But every morning at 5am through to about 8am, I am reading the Word, I'm praying the Word, and then I'm studying for messages. I don't know how it's going to work for you, but I want to encourage you, don't get caught up in the principle of how long, but prioritise one devotion every single day where you're inhaling the Word and you're exhaling in prayer every single day. I call it the breathing mechanism of the believer. Just as in the natural, you need to inhale and exhale to stay alive, get the oxygen into your system. And if you stop any one of those things, we're going to have problems, right? The same thing is in the spirit realm. Matthew 4.4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We inhale the word and then we exhale in prayer. I want to ask you today, in your relationship with God, what does your one devotion look like? Have you disconnected from the power source of the Holy Spirit? Are you living off the fumes of your own understanding and your own knowledge? Or are you feeding on the knowledge and wisdom of God's Word? Have you got an intimate personal relationship with Jesus where in prayer you're engaging with Him? Or are you simply hoping, wishing for the best to just make it through another day? If there is anything that God would call us to as followers of Him, it's to prioritise one devotion. But that's not the only relationship we have. We also have a relationship with the church. What would be the one thing that God would call us to when it comes to our participation and engagement in the life of the church. Well, apart from being a part of a covenant family and the importance of relationship, we've got to understand that every single one of us has been called to one ministry. One devotion flows into a life where we're living on purpose, living by intentional design according to one ministry. Now, in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4.11, it tells us that when Christ ascended, His gifts descended and He gave gifts to men and women. These gifts have come to be known as the fivefold ministry. Many of you know part of our vision here is to lead through the collective strength of fivefold ministry. What's the fivefold ministry? It's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor and teacher. These are the gifts that God gives to the church. Why? To equip the church, to equip every believer for the work of the ministry. 
Now, this tells me something. If God has called that the primary responsibility of every one of the leaders and gifts that God sends to the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, it must mean that every single one of us has a ministry. We've got a purpose. We've been given gifts. We've been given an anointing, the person and power of the Holy Spirit for a purpose and a reason. You've got to understand that church is not a spectator sport where we come simply on Sunday and we cheer for a few people on the platform who are working really hard and, well, the pastor only works an hour a week because we see him, you know, uh, giving his heart or her giving her heart an hour a week. No, no, no. What you see here on Sunday is a little microcosm of what happens 24-7 all across our church, all across the city, all across the nations, every single day of our lives. And the truth is, God hasn't just called a few people to carry 80% of the responsibility. He's called all of us to use the gifts that He's given to us for that one ministry that God has called us to. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Meaning, what God manifests in me must edify others through me. It's not enough just to have my own personal relationship or encounter with God. I'm actually called to steward the gifts, abilities, talents, resources that God has given to me to impact and make a difference in other people's lives. That's what ministry is. Ministry isn't just me on the platform today preaching and teaching the Word. Ministry is in your workplace. Ministry is in your neighbourhood. Ministry is the sport that you are involved in, in your sporting club. It's your hobbies. Ministry is what God has called every single one of us to do. And every one of us are responsible to firstly discover the ministry that God has called us to. Often we get this idea that life is my decision. And that's reinforced by our culture. My daughter's in year 10 at the moment, sits down with the careers teacher, and the careers teacher says, what do you want to do with your life? What are you going to study at the end of high school? As if a year 10, 15-year-old student has any clue what God or or what what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. But because we've built and discipled into our kids an understanding, you're called for a purpose. You've got a ministry on your life. There's a a relationship with God that you've got to cultivate. We don't put pressure or any compulsion upon our kids to do anything other than run after Jesus with all of their heart. And whatever God wants them to do, we want to cheer them on and encourage them and empower them in that. But when you're in year 10 and you're asked, What are you going to do with your life? You're in effect saying your life is your decision, but the Bible reveals that my destiny, my ministry is my discovery, not my decision. Once I discover what I'm on the planet for, I can make some decisions around that. But we've all been designed, called, created for a significant purpose. Every one of us are responsible to discover that. Secondly, to develop the gifts and the ministry that God has given to us. And lastly, to deploy or activate and engage in that ministry in our lives. I want to ask you today, what is your one ministry? What's the one ministry in the life of the church in relationship to the kingdom of God that God has actually called you to? What is it that 
is your passion? What's that burden that sort of brings you to life that you could talk about over and over again, even with an introverted personality who may not like big crowds or, or sort of all the attention being on them? You talk to an introverted or extroverted person, no matter what personality is about their passion, and all of a sudden they'll start to talk and talk and talk. It's like, why on earth did we watch Steve Irwin when he was alive wrestle crocodiles and bang on about conservation in the wild. I'm not interested in wrestling crocodiles. Is anybody else interested in wrestling crocodiles? I could care less. I don't want anything to do. In fact, I want to be as far away from them as I possibly can be. But the reason we all tuned in, the reason we all watched is because of Steve Irwin's passion and his psychotic nature. And so we're all there on the TV wasting hours of our life as this dude is like on knife's edge, on, on life's edge. Talk about using your one life to risk it. Here he is wrestling crocodiles. And here is a man who is passionate about something that is worthy, that is honourable, but we are followers of Jesus Christ. We're, we have the message. We have the cure for the cancer of people's souls. We have the solution to the problems of humanity. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been given the anointing of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. What are you doing with the one life that God has given to you? What are you doing with the one ministry that you've been called to and entrusted to? And maybe you don't know what that is and that's okay right now, but you've got to do something about that because you can't claim ignorance before the throne or the judgment seat of Christ. I didn't know. Well, I send a pastor, Pastor Corey, to tell you that you have a ministry and you have a life that's worth living and you have one devotion and you've got something to do with your life. What are you doing? with the one ministry that God has given to you. Not only that, not only do we have a relationship with God, a relationship to the church, but finally, we have a relationship to the world around us. And we began to search the Scriptures and ask ourselves the question as a leadership team, what is the one thing in our relationship to the world that Jesus and the Bible calls us to? And the answer is to disciple one person. You see, Jesus in Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, He came to the disciples and He comes to you and I and He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or observe everything that I have commanded you. And when Jesus gave us that Great Commission, He was not sort of like a travel agent who simply, you know, gave instructions from the other side of his desk about the adventures of life that we could all go on. No, he became a tour guide leader and he said, let me take you on the journey because I'm not going to call you to something I'm not willing to practice. You see, before Jesus called the masses, he called individual people. To follow him. He called Simon. He called Andrew. He called James and John. He called Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. He called lots of different people one by one. Levi, the tax collector. He called individuals and he said, Come follow me. And today, in the 21st century, that call is hasn't disappeared. That same call is us, 
is here for us today. It's the call to reach people that are far away from Jesus. You see in Matthew 18, 12, Jesus gives us a parable of the lost sheep and He says, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 and go after the one lost sheep and bring that one lost sheep back into the flock and into the fold? You see, one time you and I were like that one lost sheep. We were separated from God. We were lost and dead in our sin. But someone came, it could have been our parents, it could have been a friend from work, it could have been a, a, a leader or, or, or someone in our world came to us and befriended us, built a relationship with us, loved us for who we were, maybe invited us to a service, a small group, maybe invited us to a significant event, the life of the church, at some point shared their God story with us, led us to Christ and discipled us through that process so that we are here today celebrating together in this room. Someone stepped out of their comfort zone to disciple you and I into the Kingdom of God. I wanna ask you today, who is your one person? Who's that one person? that you're investing your life into, that you're praying for, that you're building relationship with, to come into a living, fruitful, dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, just recently, my own daughter, Chelsea, has really started to capture a heart for her friends at school that are far away from Jesus. And we obviously, my wife and I have our own stories over the years. I thought I'd share with you a story from my own family. And Chelsea has been praying for her friends. She's been asking God to save her friends. And, and she's been building a relationship with them. And her friends sort of come to her for sort of the big picture questions of life. And so Chelsea decided that she was going to invite them to fire conference. Now, for those of you who don't know what fire conference is, we launched it this year in October. It's our youth, young adults conference. And it's amazing. It's awesome. It's wild. It's crazy. The Holy Spirit is moving in power, signs and wonders. There's just an atmosphere of freedom. It's very raw and very real. And I initially, I can't believe that I even asked this question, but I initially said, Chelsea, are you sure that fire conference is the right event to bring these kids to church for the very first time? And she goes, you bet it is. Let's throw them in the deep end and see what happens. <laughs> and so her friends show up, the ones she's been praying for, and they come to one of the night sessions of conference. And before they came, Chelsea goes, what do you think church is going to be like? And they're like, well, I, you know, your dad's the priest. <laughs> and he's probably going to wear a collar and, you know, and, and there's going to be some smelly things that are waved around and it's going to be very sombre and quiet and it's probably going to be a few hymns and we'll be quiet and respectful. But yeah, Chelsea, we're really looking forward to coming. And, and so Chelsea just had a big smile on her face like, you have no idea, right? So these two girls come to church and there's young people everywhere on fire for God, jumping up and down. There's lights, there's camera, there's action, there's a DJ, there's all sorts of things going on. And their eyes are as big as dinner plates. You mean church could, could actually be like this? This is amazing. I go up to them, hey, so great to see you. I've got my fire conference t-shirt on and I've got my kicks and, and I don't have a collar on and I'm not waving smelly things around and, 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 and the, the mosh pit with all the teenagers smelt, but I'm not waving smelly things around. And, 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 and 
it's so great to have you here. Hi, my name is Corey. We hope you have a great time. However we can look after you, serve you, just let us know, right? And I'm just watching over every now and then as Chelsea's leading worship on the stage and they're just looking around like, and the more it went on, the more they got into it. By the end in the altar call, people are getting saved. Healings are breaking out. Signs and wonders. Demons are getting cast out. I'm looking across again and their eyes are even bigger this time as they're looking at what's happening. How many know the Holy Spirit is the most seeker, sensitive person on the face of the planet? He didn't say hide the gifts of the Spirit or the power of the Spirit away in your jacket or in a, that weird small group or under the carpet. He says, no, let your light shine before the world. We're called to be the light of the world, not the light of the church. Let your light shine in the darkness. Don't be afraid of it. Be who I've called and created and empowered you to be. And so at the end of the service, they had supper with us. Did you enjoy the night? It was awesome. Later on, a few weeks later, they sit down in one of Chelsea's free classes. I said, you sure it wasn't Matt's class? No, it was a free class, she said. And they began to fire off all these questions. How do you get saved? What happens if you don't give your heart to, like, to Jesus? Big questions in a, in a state school where you're not allowed to teach or talk these sorts of things. They're asking the questions, why? Because one young teenage girl decided, I'm going after my one person. I'm going to start to pray for them. I'm going to start to have God conversations with them. I'm going to share my life with them. And I don't know about you, but if a young 15-year-old can step out of the, the intimidation of her peer group to begin to reach out to one person that Jesus loves, how much more you and I, every single person in this room. There are people all around us in our workplace, in our families, in our neighbourhoods that are far away from Jesus. Who is your one person? I've got my one person. I'm praying for them every day. I meet with them quite regularly. They, they've attended once or twice. They're on a journey. They're not there yet, but I'm believing in faith they will be. Who's your one person? Because when it comes to our relationship with God, it's about one devotion. When it comes to our relationship with the church, you better believe every single one of us have been called to one ministry. And when it comes to our relationship to the world, there are lost people all around us and God says, who's your one? Who's the one that you are going after? You know, my mother often quoted C.T. Studd, a preacher from yesteryear. And in the final days of her life, she quoted him again. And this quote simply says this, only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Jesus will truly last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. A.W. Tozer says it like this. If you are living only to buy and sell and get gain, that is not enough. If you are living only to sleep and work, that is not enough. If you are living only to prosper and marry and raise a family, that is not enough. If you live only to get old and die and yet never live this one life for the glory of God, you have missed God's great purpose for you. A great number of believers have set a limitation, A.W. Tozer says, on what they are willing to do for God, His church and the world because they have failed to take God's Word seriously and live each day with an eternal perspective. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his one life for my sake will actually find it. You know, my prayer is 
that today, in the coming weeks, months, and years, that like the Apostle Paul, we would look at our lives, we would look at our one life, and we would say, this one thing I do. When it comes to my relationship with God, this one thing I do, I am going to practice every day in my life one devotion. When it comes to my relationship with the church, I'm not just going to be a cheerleader or a spectator of others. I'm going to practice one ministry. I'm going to use my gifts, my abilities, my talents, my resources to help build the church of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to my relationship with the world, I'm not just going to be self-absorbed in my own career, my own family and my own dreams and goals, but I'm going to look out for that one person that Jesus has called me to reach, that Jesus has called me to disciple. And I'm telling you, when we begin to practice this, watch what God begins to do in your life. Watch what God begins to do in our church. It's our prayer in the coming years that when someone asks, how do I become a follower of Jesus at Numa Church? How do, we, how do I become a disciple of Jesus? Every one of us would go, that's easy, one life. Thank you for joining us for this message today. It is an incredible privilege to share with you the Word of God and we trust that you've been blessed by listening. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we want to extend an invitation to you to begin the faith journey of following Jesus. The Bible teaches us every one of us have been created for relationship with God. Sin has separated every one of us from that relationship, but God has provided a solution in giving us His Son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. You have an opportunity today to respond with a confession of faith and a decision to believe in Jesus. Today, we invite you to make a deliberate decision to invite Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Saviour. Romans 10.10 says that with our hearts we believe and are justified, and with our mouths we confess and we are saved. So right now, if you have faith in your heart and you're ready to make that decision, you can simply pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I thank you that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you that through his death and resurrection, I am forgiven of my sin to start a brand new life. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me and to fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. Today, I choose you as my Lord and Saviour and I thank you that I am now born again as a child of God. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we would love to know and we would love to help you in any way that we can. You can contact us on our Bridge Church website, bridgechurch.com, and we'd love to hear from you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you have been challenged and encouraged.